Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you as people who are sinners. We are unable to save ourselves. Help us to understand that you are the answer that we need, that you are truly the sinner's friend. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Came across um, some actual church bulletin announcements um, written in other church, not from our church, from other churches. And here's, there's a whole bunch, I'm just going to read a few to you. Remember in prayer the many who are sick of our church and the community. Don't think it quite came across what it was supposed to. For those of you who have children and don't know it, we have a nursery downstairs. Tuesday at 4 o'clock p.m., there will be an ice cream social. All ladies giving milk will please come early. Don't think that quite came across the way it's supposed to. <clears throat> Thursday at 5 o'clock p.m., there will be a meeting of the Little Mothers Club. All wishing to become Little Mothers, please see the minister in his study. That, that doesn't sound good at all. Next Sunday, a special collection will be taken to defray the cost of the new carpet. All those wishing to do something on the new carpet will come forward and get a piece of paper. One more. Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things not worth keeping around the house. Don't forget your husbands. (laughs) Nobody's perfect, not even sometimes church secretaries. In fact, the bottom line is um, every one of us in life, we've all sinned, we've all made mistakes. There's two kinds of people in the world. There are sinners who realize they're sinners and admit to it, and there's sinners who are in denial. And the question is, what category do we fall in? You know, our um, gospel lesson for today, the title who we address it to, it says, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on others, Jesus told this parable. It was written to people that are self-righteous, people that are sinners that are living in denial. And I want us to think for a little bit about our own lives, to be honest. Because so often it's, it's easier to look at everybody else's lives. Every one of us has sinned. Every one of us has fallen short. And how do we know that we've sinned? What is sin, first of all? You know, sin is living outside the bounds of love. There's love. And then there's sin. We can sin in our thoughts. We can sin in our words. We can sin in our deeds. God gave us the simple summary of the laws and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. To make it more clear, he gives us the Ten Commandments. The first three commandments talk about how to love God. You shall have no other gods before me. That God should be number one in every aspect of our lives. You should not misuse the name of the Lord your God. We should respect our God and how we speak his name. But also as Christians, we should be living lives showing our faith and what we say and what we do. 
Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. We should be people who are consistent in worship, people who are taking time to be in the word and, and setting a day aside you know, to, to refresh, to regroup, to, to truly make sure we're grounded in, in God's word and our relationship with him. Is there anybody here who has kept those three commandments perfectly? Raise your hand if you kept all three of those commandments perfectly. I'm not seeing any hands going up, okay? So I guess we're all in the same boat, right? Maybe sometimes we feel like I'm the only real sinner here. We all have sinned. We all make mistakes. The next seven commandments talk about how to love our neighbor. Honor your father and mother. Have we always honored our parents and what we do, what we say, even if they're deceased and and moved on to, to be with the Lord? You should not murder. Have we always respected the lives of others? In fact, you can say, and for a lot of us, we're going to say, you know, I never murdered anybody, so I think I kept that one. But again, most of our sinning is done how? In our thoughts. Have you ever thought, I wish so-and-so would drop off the face of the earth? Ever wish bodily harm on somebody else? That's breaking that commandment in your mind. You should not commit adultery. Have we, have we already, always used um, sexuality in the context for which God intended it? Have we always followed his word in that area? And our thoughts, our words, and our actions. You should not steal. Respect the property of others. Have we always done that? You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Have we always lifted people up and not put people down? Have we always spoken the truth? The ninth and tenth, you should not covet. We should learn to be content with what God has blessed us with. Anybody here fulfill all of those seven commandments? Raise your hand. I'm not seeing any hands going up. If there was, I want your autograph, okay? Because um, the bottom line is, we break these commandments over and over again. I don't know about you, but, you know, I want to do the right thing. Okay, I really do. But there's this battle going on. Even Paul, you know, in, his, in Romans, he talks about this battle. The very things that I, I don't want to do, I keep on doing. And here's a hero of the faith. We struggle so often to do the things that God wants us to do. There's this battle raging inside of our heads and our lives. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. And what does sin do to us? Does sin make us feel good? No. Sin causes damage to our own lives. It causes damage to the people around us. This world's messed up because of sin, because of lack of love. And that sin, it just beats us down. And so often people get into addictive behaviors and they can't get out of it. And the more they, the deeper they get, it's like a downward spiral. They keep doing the same things over and over again and their self-esteem just goes away. They feel bad about themselves. Sin is the enemy. And for us to get help, it's so important for us to realize that we have a problem. You know, for a long time I've been helping, um, you know, people struggling with addiction. And at these, you know, 12-step meetings, people introduce themselves, hi, I'm Fred, I'm a, a meth addict. I'm Fred, I'm an alcoholic, or Joe, I'm a, you know, and I'm struggling with, with um, heroin or whatever. And, and for me, it comes to my point, I'm not struggling with drugs. I say, I'm John, I'm a sinaholic. Okay, we're all sinaholics. We're all addicted to sin. We can't stop doing it. In the video you're about to see, we're going to see two different types of people in the, in this, the um parable of Jesus speaks. There are those who are sinners and don't realize it, and there is a tax collector named Matthew who realizes he's a sinner. I want you to, to watch this video. 
Stinking vermin. You should keep your distance from them. Two men went to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, and the other one a tax collector. The Pharisee prayed, God. I thank you that I'm not like other men. Thieves, adulterers, or this tax collector. But the tax collector didn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. God bless the tax collector. Not the Pharisee. Anyone who praises himself will be humbled. And anyone who humbles himself will be praised. Matthew, come. See, now he even calls the sinners to follow him. One has to wonder of the sins committed by his other followers. Tax collectors. There's not a thread of good in any of them. Thomas, Jesus has not come for the good, but for the sinners. He gives people a second chance. We should too. When you think of the way that Jesus did things, it's very different than maybe people would have expected. You know, we can look at the Pharisees nowadays and think, you know, we can see how evil they were. Back in that day, they were respected. They were looked up, looked up to as the leaders of the church. And people so often followed them and they were led astray. But so interesting, you know, Jesus is picking a team, okay? He's picking his team. Now, I want you to think back to when maybe you're growing up and, and um, you get two captains and people pick the team. Let's say it's for a basketball team, all right? And so there's, there's two captains and they're going to pick the best team. So they're probably going to pick the, the tallest, the fastest, the good athletes first. And the worst athletes are left to win. 
last, okay? Ever been chosen last before? Now, Jesus' way was totally different, okay? You think he would have chosen the people that experienced in the church. He's building a, a team that's going to help build the church and build his kingdom. He stays away from the church people at that time. He chooses people that are the underdogs. You know, a tax collector. They were completely despised by the people because they represented the Roman government. And on top of that, not only did they collect tax for the Roman government, but they would collect whatever commission they wanted for themselves, and nobody could stop them because they had the authority of the Roman Empire to do this. They were hated. It's really interesting that if you look at Matthew and in the listing of the 12 disciples, Matthew refers to himself as Matthew the tax collector. And I believe he put that in there, not because he's probably being a tax collector, but that Jesus was willing to choose somebody like him to be one of the disciples. He chooses the underdogs. He takes these underdogs, and he turns them into the most incredible team of church leaders in history, and those individuals go out and change the then-known world. I think Jesus intentionally chose them to show the incredible potential that each one of us has to make a huge difference in this world. You know, the tax collectors at a distance, they watched what was going on. They said things like in, in Luke 15, 2. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're messed up. You know, right now, who's in the sanctuary? We are what? We are sinners, okay? And so um, if we're saying, okay, no sinners are welcome to come to our church, who's going to be here? <laughs> Nobody. We're all sinners. They just didn't get it. Here is a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That's the attitude that Jesus despises. That was the attitude of the church at that time, and that can never be the attitude of God's church today. See, there's three points I want to bring to light as a result of this section of Scripture and this video. Three, two, two of them talk about what not to do. One talks about what to do. The first thing I want to talk about is this. Resist comparisons. Resist comparing yourself to others. It says in our, our text, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. Now, this is my feeling on this. I think he's praying out loud. Okay? I think he's standing up at a prominent place. He's got his bright neon robe on. He's got his hands up in the air, and he's saying out loud, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. What kind of an attitude is that? Is he really praying to God? Is he praying to raise himself up? Looking down his nose at the people around him. Do you ever do that? Do you ever look down at people? Maybe sometimes we have. We live in a world of people that are so judgmental so often. We live in a world where people label others. There's prejudice. Sometimes people look down at others because of their nationality, their faith, their background. You look at extreme situations like in World War II where, you know, people like Hitler, you know, came out and, and they basically annihilated entire groups of people because they were different. That is not what God calls upon any of us to do, to resist comparison. 
You know, you look in the Bible, and, and what you see is, is the church is called the body of Christ. And if you look in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Romans 12, um, you know, and Ephesians as well, it talks about that every one of us is specially created by God. There's 7 billion people in the world. Nobody's the same. Every one of us has special talents, abilities, spiritual gifts. My position is not more important than yours. Every one of our positions are of equal importance. And we live in a world sometimes that tries to conform people, tries to, to get people to fit into molds. It tries to sometimes make us into people that we're not when God made us special the way we are. It's okay to be you the way God made you. The, the key is that we should desire to be the very best me or you that God can possibly make us become. That's my desire. I want to be the best me I can possibly be for God's glory. The Bible talks about don't be conformed by the pattern of this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And when I think about that section of Scripture, don't let the world mold you into something you're not. But be transformed into the person that God has called you to be in Christ Jesus. And that's a special person. And as the body of Christ, every one of us is a piece. Like there's, you know, one's like a hand, one's like a, an arm, one's like a leg. Every one of us has a part in the body. And the key is all the parts have to come together. And when that happens in the church, the church becomes an amazing thing. And it reflects the image of Christ to the world. And that's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. But that can't happen when people are judging others or looking down on others. Every one of us is important. Every one of us has potential that's unlimited because of the power of our God. That we're not called to, to compare ourselves to somebody else, but to be the best you, the best me we can possibly be and be thankful for the way God made the people around us and helping people to realize their potential. You know, it says in um, 2 Corinthians 10, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with others. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. Resist comparison. The second thing, renounce your own righteousness. Renounce your own righteousness. So the Pharisee goes on his prayer and he says, um, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. Once again, I can see him doing this out loud. Trying to impress people. You know, Jesus addresses this many times. Even in, in Matthew, if you, this is the first part of Matthew, he talks about if you give, don't let, let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. That if you're going to pray, go in your room and close the door. Pray silently. Don't make it a show. If you're going to fast, put oil on your face, keep your hair well kept, and don't come across to others as you're fasting. It's supposed to be a private matter between you and God. It's not meant to be a show. Jesus hated the show the Pharisees were putting on. That's not the way things are supposed to be. It's supposed to be humbly done. We're supposed to be serving God in humility in all situations. Then what are we supposed to do? In our Old Testament um, reading we had together, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Give thanks to God. If you accomplish things in life... We really shouldn't be going around saying, wow, look at what I did. What would you do? You did things with the ability God gave you, with the resources he gave you, with the talents he gave you. Really, you didn't accomplish it. God did it through you. 
He's the one that should get the glory for everything. And I think back to um, my college days, and, and I was on a team that, that um, won a national championship in, in soccer. And the coolest thing about that was after the game was, you know, most of us were, have gone on to be pastors and, and Lutheran school teachers and DCEs. We got in the middle of the field, and they had to, you know, actually delay the award ceremony because we were praying and giving God the glory for the victory we had. That was the coolest thing. I remember that, just that feeling of just thanking God and realizing we couldn't have done any of this without him. Our accomplishments, the one that gets the glory, is him. And we shouldn't be going around bragging. You know, I don't want to, I'm not going to talk about politics in my sermon, but sometimes what really bugs me sometimes is just, you know, some of the ways things come across out there in the political world. You know, that, that's, you know, I wish there was more humility. And I think that that's how we are called to live, you know. And we're to pray for all of our leaders out there. And, and, and my biggest prayer is that they will have humble hearts. They will serve our land humbly, which we're all called upon to do. And so renounce self-righteousness. Live in thankfulness. If we're going to you know, give thanks, don't give thanks to yourself. Give thanks to God for what he's doing, the blessings he's bringing into our lives. Another thing we need to do is be honest. In 1 John 1, 9, this ties into our confession we had a little bit ago. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, to be honest. You know, God loves honesty. He knows our sins before we even confess them. And so we can't hide it from him. I think sometimes we're trying to hide things. You can't hide anything from God. He wants us to come out in the open. And every Sunday, as part of our liturgy, as part of our service, we confess our sins. And I think this is such an important part of our Christian walk, to be honest with God. You know, I'm a sinner. I need help. If we don't realize that, we're not going to get the help we need. We're living in denial. You know, there's three parts of, of sin. As, as we look at it, we think of sin so often as being the action. But again, I've talked about this before. In the Hebrew culture, sin was the thought process. Okay? And then the transgression was the act of doing the sin. The iniquity was covering it up. And we need to be honest about all of it. You know, God, I, sometimes my thinking's messed up. Sometimes my actions are messed up. And sometimes I try to hide my sins from others to get it out there. To be honest, to confess our sins to God. In Romans 3.20, no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. And so when you look at the law, I don't know about you, but I look at the Ten Commandments and realize I make mistakes. I sin. I have a hard time understanding how even the Pharisees and Sadducees had the Ten Commandments, that they were going around so haughty, thinking how great they were, because if you truly study the commandments, you realize your sin. The problem was they weren't looking at themselves. What were they doing? Looking at everybody else. You sit at the line at the store, and you see all these magazines. And what's on those magazines that you're seeing on the shelves right there as you're checking out? They're talking about other people's lives. This person did this, and that person did that, and, and we just we want to get all wrapped up in this reality stuff and reality TV, reality whatever it is, and to get our own stuff put to the side. We don't want to deal with our own stuff. That's the way the world is. 
But God wants to take a look inside. You know, like this tax collector. He wouldn't even look to heaven. He realized how messed up his life was. He had a lot of money. The guy was rich. He had all the worldly trappings, but yet he's miserable on the inside, and he's finally being honest. Forgive me. Have mercy on me, God. I'm a sinful person. So these are the two what not to do. Resist comparison. Renounce your unrighteousness. Three, rely on grace. Rely on grace. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus goes on to say, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, God's way of doing things is so different. It's so different than the world. You want greatness? You don't ascend into greatness in God's kingdom. You descend into greatness. You humble yourself. But you don't humble yourself to become great. You humble yourself because that's our calling, to live in humility. And in humility, you're going to find yourself. In humility, you're going to find Jesus in in much deeper ways. You know, grace is everything. God's grace. Years ago, um, I had the privilege to um, to do a sermon for the Lutheran Hour, and it was kind of a nerve-wracking thing. I think I've shared the story with some of you before that you have to write out the whole sermon because they, it goes through this theological um, process. They, they read every word in your sermon, and then when you do this thing on, on, on the air, you have to read it word for word. And, and, and I want to be very careful, so I did a, a very, it was, it was Reformation Sunday, and so I did a very um, law gospel type of sermon, okay, that we're sinners and that Jesus saves us, and as a result, he saves us, we should try to do things for, to, to, for his glory. And there was a Sunday when I didn't have a sermon ready, you know, after the, the, I did the, the Lutheran Hour um, service, and it was a Sunday back at the church, and I, I thought, I'm going to use a sermon from the Lutheran Hour this week. And that was the Sunday when my next-door neighbor, after eight years of inviting him, finally came. He finally came to church. And the sermon was titled, Done, that Jesus has done our salvation for us. And I shared the sermon, and I remember when he came out of church, and, and, and he was kind of like, he was first started laughing. He says, you know, you're a little bit different when you preach in real life. So I'm kind of a pretty quiet guy, more laid back. And, and um, he said, I need to talk to you. And I remember that afternoon talking with him, and he said, the sermon made sense to me. And I really believe what you said is true. I believe that Jesus is my Savior, and his family came to faith in Christ. And, and it's, just, it's just something that I really want every single one of you to know is this, more than anything else. Your salvation's been done for you by Jesus. It's not your righteousness. It's not by what we've done. It's 100% because of what he's done for us. That he gave his life on a cross and he rose again. He paid the penalty of our sins and right now, even though we all are sinners and ourselves, we're forgiven. That when God looks at us right now, we're not sinners in his eyes. You know, Jesus, a friend of sinners, has taken our sin upon himself that we can have freedom from death, from sin, from Satan, that we're given eternal life. And there's nothing, nothing more important than that. And if, you know, I've seen surveys done where Christian people are asked, how do you think you're saved? And a lot of Christian people, by what I do, 
I don't want anybody in this congregation if they took a test like that to say because of what I do. We're going to say because of what's been done for me, because of Jesus Christ. In Titus 3, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. It's all him. You know, I got to be honest with you. My whole life, um, I can't say I wasn't like the Pharisee. My, My challenge was more of a battle within myself. Growing up, feelings like I'm just not good enough, okay? Feelings like I, there's always people better than me. I wanted to be better. I wanted to, you know, there's, in, in, when I did sports, I wanted to be the best at whatever I did, but there's always somebody better than me. In the, in the school, there's always better students than me. And I always wanted to, to try to be the best because I wasn't. I felt like I was, you know, letting certain people down. I wasn't measuring up. And those thoughts, those things were in my head for the longest time. About a year ago, just when I, before my sabbatical, um, those voices were really loud in my head. I felt like a failure. I felt like I'm a failure as a pastor. I'm a failure as a person. Um, and I just, I really, I, well, probably one of the lowest times of my life. I went on my sabbatical, and God put people in my life that really helped me. You know, some people from this church um, some Christian counselors or pastors, um, a district president who walked beside me. Um, and it was just incredible. I went and visited a lot of different churches and saw I was out there and, and just I heard a lot of incredible messages. Some I felt like, I'm not sure if you ever show up for church, it's like the message, it's like, I think the pastor had my number today. Ever happened to you? Like, it's like, wow, I guess that was like a personal sermon, you know, and, and a lot of them were about grace and, and God's amazing love and his forgiveness and, and did a lot of reading and, and a lot of soul searching. And, and after 57 years, now I've finally come to the realization that it's okay for me to be me the way God made me. It's okay for you to be who you are, to be yourself, but to be the best you you can possibly be for God's glory. Don't compare yourself. Don't lift yourself up in front of others. We lift God up. And what I felt in this whole process was love. District president told me, I said, because I was really questioning, should I come back to Shepherd? He says, yeah, you need to go back to Shepherd. Let them minister to you. And I came back, and that's what happened. There's a lot of love in this place. What is needed for us to be the best church we can be is love, God's love, to be there for each other. I know we're from all over the place. We're from, you know, all our different states. You know, we're interesting breed of people here. We're not like in Minnesota. We're from, the, from Minnesota. We're from like all over the place. And, and my prayer as we go forward that more and more we're going to really be there for each other. You've been there for me, and I want to be there even more for you. I'm more committed now to what this church is all about than ever. And I see more clear than ever the beauty of this faith that we have and the beauty of grace, that God loves us no matter what. And if there's some of you right now out there, you think, you know what? I've really messed up. I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm not good enough. Those aren't the right voices. Turn those voices over and realize that God loves you so much to receive that love 
to grow in that love and we can more freely share it with one another. In closing, um, I, I'm gonna, there's a song I wrote this weekend. You know, so bear with me. I know that, that um, today's actually my birthday, so I figured out my birthday, I should be able to do something I want to do, right? So I want you to listen to this song, and um, it's a song that kind of ties this sermon together. It's called The Sinner's Friend. my way in this crazy life I was drowning in my sin and strife then you came along you took me by the hand now you're leading me To the promised land You're a friend of sinners like me You died and you rose to set me free Now you're here with me today Jesus has always, always loved you, and he wants to see you through. He's here right now. Reaching out his hand Take it and let him lead you To the promised land He's a friend of sinners like you and me He died and he rose To set us free With us today We will never again Be sad and lonely strays He's a friend of sinners Like you and me He gave his life to set us free He's a friend of sinners He's a friend of sinners Like you and me He gave his life To set us free Jesus He's a friend of sinners, sinners. Like you and me He gave his life 
to set us free. Your friend of sinners, he's a friend of sinners, like you and me. He gave his life to set us free. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are a friend of sinners. We're the underdogs here today. You've chosen us. You've chosen us to be part of this eternal family. And there's nothing more important than this relationship we have with you. Our salvation has been done for us because of your love. And Lord, as we leave here in a few short moments, help us to live this out more in our lives. Help us to resist comparisons. Help us to renounce our own righteousness and help us to rely completely and totally on your grace and your love to compel us, to empower us, and help us in greater ways than ever before to share that love, your love, with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.